The Nonprofit Happy Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org or in person at Citizen, our nonprofit coffee shop and program space, located at 3636A North Mississippi Ave. We're open most days, 9 to 1. And be sure to check out our website for upcoming movie screenings and dinners with local media makers. Wednesday, February 21st, we're hosting a dinner with film producer Kristen Miko. The evening will be a great way to learn about the Portland media landscape, whether you're a filmmaker or consumer. Tickets are $25 and can be purchased on our website. I'm Rachel Miller Howard. On today's show, we're joined by Bob Van Dyke and Tara Brown of the Wild Salmon Center. This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm Phil Bussey. I am joined in the studio with two people from the Wild Salmon Center. Tara Brown is the Oregon Policy Associate, and Bob Van Dyke is the Oregon and California Policy Director. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for having us. You guys had to swim upstream to get here. (laughs) It's cold and rainy, but hopefully snow in the mountains. Um, let's, Let's talk about salmon a bit. So 25 years as an organization. That's right. Nine million acres of salmon habitat, 71 rivers and streams have been protected. What what does that, where does that leave you? Does that leave you optimistic, uh, pessimistic about where salmon are and where they should be in terms of uh, protections? It makes me uh, excited and, and proud to be part of the organization. And it's, it's neat to see the fruits of people's labor coming to pass. And we've got a something that's neat about organization i think is we work on the whole pacific rim so we've done some work in uh in japan and in russia a lot of work and alaska british columbia um the whole north pacific rim so so it's inspiring to see people across the rim who really care about um, pacific salmon and but you know i got to tell you the the um if you want to see where uh salmon are disappearing uh, we've done a lot of work mapping where the runs are weak, where they're strong, and uh, basically, as you creep from south to north, as there are more people, there are fewer fish, and you put climate change on top of that, and it really doubly underlines the the challenges we face. Yeah, I mean, it would seem as if you are uh, addressing an issue on many fronts. Um, both climate change is is part of that, but then also working with uh, Russians and working it with Canadians. I mean, you're working with different policies and policymakers, different attitudes. How does conservation of salmon, what is the attitude in Russia as compared to what it is in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, well, I want to say to start with, you know, I focus more on the Pacific Northwest, though I've been with the Wild Salmon Center a while. Um, I think in Russia, there's there's two things. One is that there are a lot less people there. So there are really large watersheds there that are comparatively wild that we work in. So there's a kind of opportunity there in that um, places are unspoiled. And so there's a chance to... Um, as it were, get in on the ground floor or work early for salmon. 
Uh, at the same time, there's a much less well-developed NGO community there or nonprofit community that uh, engages in advocacy or, or for fish or um, collaborative efforts to protect fish. So lots of opportunity in terms of quality of habitat and, and strength of salmon runs. But the main challenge there is really developing institutions that are focusing and caring about wild salmon. Yeah, and I, I want to keep talking about some of the, the, the macro challenges, but I also want to, I, I need to get some, some things off the table here. So wild salmon center, wild versus farmed. Yeah, uh, and I'd even, <laughs> I'd even throw in their hatchery fish too. Okay. So, you know, one is they're, uh, the fish are just, they spawn in, in the wild and then they go out to sea and then, you know, they come back, they're, they're wild. Hatchery fish are generally raised in hatchery, then put into systems and, and they go out to sea and return. And then there's just straight farm salmon where, you know, they're raised in tanks for their whole lives, et cetera. So our focus is really on the, on the wild salmon because it focuses on, well, really sustaining broad ecosystems. It, it widens the lens out to say, you know, salmon aren't just about what's on your table and they're not uh, just about um, developing farms in which they'll be reared, but it's really about understanding how to sustain ecosystems where you've got these healthy, these indicators. Salmon are a great indicator of the health of a whole ecosystem because they do have this enormous range from um, headwaters where they spawn to the estuaries where they rear to out in the oceans where they live for most of their adult lives. So, um, so it really broadens that focus out to say, look at the whole ecosystem. And that's really what we're concerned about in the end, as the salmon are an indicator for that wider ecosystem health. Is there an inference that farmed fish are not as ethically okay, or is, is that just not your concern? It's just a question that I've always struggled with. I think, well, yeah, so it's a great question. So there's all kinds of farmed fish that I think that really we have problems with. You may have heard about Atlantic salmon that have been reared up in Puget Sound. And recently, for reasons that aren't clear, these enormous pens that they have them in broke open and a ton of the fish escaped. So that's a very serious concern of ours is bringing in um, a species that's not native, raising it in large numbers, potential escapement that could then lead to those really invasive species invasive species in some ways occupying the wild salmon habitat and hurting the wild salmon runs so i guess i'd just say we've got a yellow flag in the ground on um on farmed and hatchery salmon is not a red flag i don't think that says you know no never etc but um but they're not a replacement for the wild salmon ecosystems by any means is it okay to order salmon at a restaurant? Sure, I think it is. We like the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They have a, a list that we generally agree with, not always. We weigh in with them uh, at times, and it it, uh, it helps direct your attention to salmon populations that are managed sustainably. So um, I do want to note we've had some concerns over the years about which runs they've put in there. But yeah, sure, of course, they're delicious. That's why we like salmon too. We like catching them. Let, as well. So I do, at least. You're, you're, you're a fisherman? I do, yeah. I don't fish a ton, but I do fish some. And Tara, I think, has actually done maybe more fishing than yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Alaska, so I grew up salmon fishing and halibut fishing, and so I, I love fish. So. And there, there's not an ethical conflict there? No, not for me. I mean, as long as you're doing it sustainably and properly, um, I think it's it's a great 
it, it's a great pastime. I, I love it. I love being able to go home and go fishing with my parents and, you know, being able to cook a fresh coho on the boat. You know, that's just amazing right there. So, yeah, I love it. So let, let's let's pivot away, to, uh, pivot towards the more, the, the broader view. Salmon population dropped to 3% of the historic numbers in the 1970s. Is that, is that, I read that correctly? It depends where, I think. Okay. You know, so that's not a, a worldwide shift. Although I would note, uh, and for readers, the real wonky readers out there, there's a great book called King of Fish by David Montgomery that's about the history of salmon, really. There used to be enormous salmon runs in Europe and big uh, salmon, Atlantic salmon, going up uh, European rivers. And now there are really remnant populations in Scotland and Iceland. There used to be enormous Atlantic salmon runs in the United States. Uh, you know, you go back and read uh, Emerson and Thoreau, and they're talking about the salmon coming up these rivers in, in New England. And those runs have had a lot of trouble. Now in California, particularly, and for in some areas of Oregon, real uh, reduction in runs. But in places like Alaska and British Columbia, parts of Oregon, Washington Coast, Russia, certainly there are lots of runs that are prospering still. And, and, and what are species that are doing the best and species that are in the most trouble? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the most trouble usually is where there's been a, the most human development. And there are a lot of things that have, have hurt salmon, not only overfishing, but particularly their habitat being destroyed. And that comes from all kinds of factors, dams that block access to their habitat, harm to their spawning rivers, building dikes in estuaries where they might rear, all those things lead to loss of habitat that, that they need to, to persist. This is the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. This is Phil Bussey. I'm talking with two people from the Wild Salmon Center. Bob Van Dyke is the Oregon and California Policy Director, and Tara Brown is the Oregon Policy Associate. Bob, you brought in a song to uh, spice up the, the, the day. I, I suggested Grazing in the Grass by Hugh Masekela, who's a South African trumpeter who died this week. And I think it's a lively and um, life-affirming song, and it also... He had a great, great life and a very productive life and was a champ against apartheid, too. So I think it's worth noting him. Let's hit it.
This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm talking to Bob Van Dyke and Tara Brown, who are with the Wild Salmon Center. We were talking before the music break about uh, where salmon populations stand now and how salmon populations are an indicator species of ecosystems. Let's talk about what Wild Salmon Center does. 25 years as an organization, uh, 9 million acres of salmon habitat, 71 rivers and streams protected. How? How did you, how 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 do you do that and what does protected mean? So those are great questions. I would say the short answer is how you do it is with local partners. You you don't do it by yourself. So that means finding the people in the places who love salmon, which oftentimes means fishermen. Uh, might be recreational fishermen. It means commercial fishermen. Uh, it means working with indigenous and tribal populations who care about salmon runs. And it means working with them. And I think what we oftentimes do is we provide a bridge out from those places that can bring resources to them. And that might be resources that helps them get organized. It might be scientific resources as well that help them do baseline work to figure out what's happening and what needs to be done. Uh, it can mean funding uh, at times uh, as well. We have a communications shop. Sometimes we help with litigation. Sometimes uh, we help with uh, ballot initiatives, like we have one now that we're helping with in Alaska. So, uh, so it varies on the place. But the, the short answer is really through partners. We don't have any, I think, secret sauce um, that, that leads to those outcomes or the successes we've had. It's it's really about working with and building uh, strength in communities. Yeah, uh, let's take a case study of one of those. So the the current project in Alaska, can you speak about that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, I'll try. So so Alaska is really ground zero in the United States for fantastic salmon runs and uh, wild salmon runs and a great habitat and a strong community that cares about salmon. But there's a really, some really significant threats from development up there. Um, there's been a long discussion about uh, a large mine up there called the Pebble Mine, which is essentially for rare minerals. Uh, that'll be in the headwaters of Bristol Bay, which is a, a huge Alaska fishery. So our concern is this enormous mine up there um, could threaten this run. And so we've been working for years and we were in a good place there in terms of uh, the, it seems like the, the mine would not be built, but the Trump administration has really changed the game. And now it seems like it's on a fast track moving forward. So we're working with a broad community out up there to work at the state level to say, what can we do in Alaska at the state level to uh, um, prevent that kind of project from happening. So so in, in doing that, it, it's turned our lens more broadly on Alaska to say, can we, can we bring some policies or work with the stakeholders there on policies that will prevent things like this pebble mine and, and other major threats to salmon populations? Yeah, I, was, I, I wanted to ask about that because as you said, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of local initiatives, local boots on the ground or boots boots in the stream as it were in terms of working with communities and trying to protect different habitats or streams or work against uh, mines or what, whatever the threat is sure but now a year into the new uh, federal administration clearly that that shifts the ground that you're standing on or does it? It does. It certainly does. I guess I'd, uh, I, since I work a lot in Oregon in particular, I'd mention some work here 
a lot of land in Oregon, of course, is federal land, uh, our national forests, and, and those are subject to policies that the Trump administration will help direct. And there's plenty of threats in the making there. But a place where we have focused our attention is on places where the state can really make a difference. And I guess I'd call attention to two different things. One is there's a um, beautiful state forest down near Coos Bay called the Elliott State Forest. And its purpose is largely to produce revenue for schools. There wasn't that much revenue coming off it. And the school board, uh, pardon me, the land board, which includes the governor, treasurer, secretary of state, actually were at the cusp of selling it last year, about 90,000 acres. They were going to sell it to a private timber company. So, you know, it's bad enough having the Trump administration, but even worse when you think about Oregon selling a real gem. There's great coho habitat in the Elliott. So we help with a lot of partners, fishing groups, hunting groups who didn't want to lose public land, more traditional conservation groups, Sierra Club and Audubon, all work together. And we're really excited that the legislature appropriated $100 million to buy out. They, they decided not to sell it, and they appropriated $100 million to the schools to help settle that obligation to the school. So that's that's one place we've spent a lot of energy. Is that's a hu- that sounds like a huge victory. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is huge. It's really exciting. And um, and we've got a real similar issue on the North Coast for those Portlanders living here or Portland metro area. If you go out to the coast on 26 or 6, you're crossing some huge pieces of state-owned land there, the Tillamook and Clatsop State Forest. And those similarly are under really intense pressure to uh, to clear-cut them. So similarly there, we're working to be a bulwark that says, no, you know, you need a balance, a balance policy that you know, certainly allows logging, but, but also gives us confidence that there'll be protected areas for fish and wildlife and recreation out there too. And the issue with logging here, can we specify, so I, I would assume it's because if trees are cut that, that it increases the chance of mud running into the streams, uh, as well as obviously uh, big trucks coming in as disruptive. Uh, am I am I getting the, that correct? Yeah, I think you have it. Uh, yeah, you do have it. One one problem for salmon with logging is sediment. That is, they they need gravel, clean gravel to spawn in. And if that uh, gravel is being covered with pulses of mud that are coming from landslides or clear cuts or logging roads, that's a real problem. And basically, logging, depending on the terrain, how close you are to a stream, really increases the chance that 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 will happen. Another problem is if you cut too close to a stream is the streams heat up too much. And so you lose control of of the temperature if there's too much logging. So so those are uh, those are real serious concerns. So yeah. salmon aren't like me in the, that I like sort of a warm swimming pool? Yes, they they don't like no 70 degrees is bad news for salmon. They're cold water fish. So so that's part of the climate challenge that we have. Um, not only are the times rains falling changing and the snowpack and how much we get of it changing um, but the temperatures rising, and those are all those all say to us that in Oregon we need to invest and be atten- pay attention to adapting to these changes. So we actually need to be more cautious in some of our land use policies and forest policies because of these changes. I'm I'm curious if you if you could uh, take us back to Elliott State Park, uh, State Forest, State Forest, uh, yes, uh, and and. Can you take us to the to the office? How does the Wild Salmon Center celebrate? I mean, when 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 things came together for that, were there champagne <laughs> bottles that uncorked? And I guess the larger question is, 
what is a victory for the Wild Salmon Center? And will, will is there ever a day that that this will be finished and successful? Like, is there is there that end goal in mind ever? Um, it, no, <laughs> no, I don't think the work's ever done. Yeah. I mean, no, there's no there's no end to the work. You know, that seems true to me and in, in almost any human endeavor that there's. There's, there's more to do. It, it ends for us as individuals, but, you know, the cause goes on, whether it's caring for our environment or attending to um, gender equity or thinking about race relations or thinking about economic equality. You know, we do our part. We fight. We try to, to get what's going to be a win. We certainly like when we get something that feels like it's more lasting and we can sort of walk away from it and not have to say, oh, well, there'll be 10 more years struggling over that thing. So that's particularly why the Elliott feels good to us. That that $100 million, and I really want to call out here and in the strongest term possible, that uh, Governor Brown is the one who made that happen. She stood up. Two other land board members, one of them a Democrat, voted to sell the forest. And she stood up and said, no, I'm going to stop this and I'm going to get some money for the schools to help stop it happening. So so that's that's why the Elliott feels good because it feels like we we changed the trajectory. We didn't just kick the can down the road to another policy decision. Uh, we didn't just stop it from being sold. We actually helped change the direction of uh, toward conservation. So and in terms of celebrating not working so much feels like celebrating to me. Um, yeah, we do pop the, the champagne bottles sometimes. I don't think we had an Elliott celebration. I'm not sure that we did. Uh, I don't think specific. it was huge. We do have a um, big bell in the office. So when you get good news, you ring the bell and everybody comes together and, you know, talks about it and celebrates for a short short amount of time. But, yeah, I don't think we had a big big hoot nanny or anything like that <laughs> no i think i think that's right you know i think it's uh so i'm like with elliot the one who goes to land board meetings who's in the legislature and am reporting back to to staff and occasionally and very rarely i get to send the blow by blow of what's happening in the land board meeting that ends with the text that says we win so yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's always fun to do it's all too rare but um yeah how, how did you get involved with with uh, the wild salmon center so that's a good question. I live in Forest Grove, Oregon, which is about a half hour west of town. It's on the west end of the metro area. And I was a professor of political science there for 20 years and associate dean. And the Tillamook and Clatsop Forests are right outside the door, my door there. So I grew up going hiking and, and camping. Um, you know, my father actually was the head of PR for Warehouser for some years growing up long ago. Um, but uh, I, in paying attention to those state forests, I really saw that the there was a need for more emphasis on conservation in their management. The whole structure, how they're set up, is not not amenable to conservation. The Department of Forestry, which manages the forest, pays its bills by cutting the forest down. So if they cut less, then there's less money available for them. And um, so unfortunately, that puts them in this awkward position of having a natural inclination toward timber harvest as their primary activity. Wild salmon centers paid attention to those salmon runs on the North Coast for many years. So I got to know them by paying attention to those North Coast state forests and um, and got to know our, our uh, CEO, Guido Rar and um, and after 20 years at Pacific, I left the university, and I think this is my third year full-time for Wild Salmon Center. 
And and Tara, you are newer to Wild Salmon Center. Yep. How did you get involved or why? Yeah, so I grew up in Alaska fishing, you know, and a lot of my friends, their livelihood are around salmon and are, um, you know, commercial fishermen. And we've just seen such a huge decline in populations that uh, they're not making the same money that they used to. They're having a hard time paying their bills. When I go home and go fishing, you know, you don't catch as many as you used to. They're not as big as they used to be. And that's all really important and really part of my background and where I came from. And so I really was seeking out Wild Salmon Center because I think that's a really, they're doing really important work and I'm really glad to be a part of it. And in your bio, it says you're a hockey fan? I am. San Jose Sharks. Yeah. Big hockey fan. <laughs> Does, do, do the Olympic, Olympic hockey, is that interesting to you? Yes, um, that's a little hard subject right now. Um, the NHL has decided not to participate, so um, a lot of the hockey players that we'd normally be seeing in the Olympics will not be there. Instead, you're seeing retired hockey players come out for the Olympics or junior hockey players, which are a lot younger. So it's going to be an interesting team this year. Tara Brown is Oregon Policy Associate. Bob Van Dyke is Oregon and California Policy Director for Wild Salmon Center. Thank you both for coming in and talking with us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's been lovely being here. Thanks for having us. Special thanks to Laughing Planet for supplying food for our last dinner with a local filmmaker. And to Winderly of Vineyard and Winery and Stormbreaker Brewing, for the delicious libations. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our producer and editor is Rachel Miller-Howard. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.